Hi. Hello. I'm Julian. And I am Tom. We are Team Binge. Thank you for joining us. We are here to talk about Silo, an Apple TV show. And today we are going to do things very differently if you're a normal listener. We're going to talk about two episodes and we're going to do it chronologically. For those of you joining us for the first time, we'd like to let you know that we've talked about other shows. The premise of this podcast is pretty simple. Tom and I like talking to each other. We've recorded it for prosperity's sake. <laughs> and in the end, this will probably be used in some sort of court of law to convict us of something <laughs> years down the road. Fact. Speaking of courts of law and convicting people, Silo's kind of a weird show. But we do want to point out that if you enjoy this podcast, you can join us for other shows on Apple. We actually started as a Ted Lasso podcast. Correct, Tom? We did, and that just finished its third and final season. So we've got episodes out for every single episode of that show. Uh, kind of started our podcasting adventure. We also did The After Party, another big, fun Apple TV Plus show, which is coming back for a second season, which we will likely be doing as well. Uh, what else do we got in the bank? We have Outer Range, which is on Amazon, as well as 1899 on Netflix. 1899, I believe, was picked up for seven more seasons. So mm. watch that first one and then be ready to really dive into it. <laughs> Tom, Silo is very much like Ted Lasso. You wanted me to give this to you at the top. You could explain where the correlation <laughs> is. So I'll give you about 10 minutes. You can tell us how Silo relates to Lasso. Go for it, buddy. <laughs> uh, do they both take place in England? Um, Ooh, good think... question. <laughs> Don't know. Don't know. Once again, only watched episode one and two. Have no idea what country we're in. or if we're I'm pretty sure... Earth. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Ted Lasso was trying to get pregnant for the first episode as well. So, <laughs> Oh, that was strong. Oh, that was strong. I like it. Yes, a lot of soccer, a lot of sports, you're correct. And then, mm -hmm. of course, one that you weren't going to mention, but they play on the same streaming network, which is Apple. So mm. I'd be interested to know if our podcast is still up when we're all living in silos and whether or not anyone's going to know what Apple is when they find the hard drive, the secret hard drive that has our podcast on it. <laughs> Can you imagine if we're what's left of civilization and someone finds this? Uh, good Listen, luck. Nelson mentioned it could have been like family recipes. Like It could have been our back catalog. And oh, that would have been incredible. <laughs> someone's just bopping around the silo with a headphone jacked into this hard drive, <laughs> listen to you and me be jackasses. So <laughs> anyways, we're going to dive into episode one of Silo. This show is based on a book series by a gentleman by the name of Hugh Howey. I'm sure I'm pronouncing that right. For now on, we'll just call him Double H. Uh, <laughs> Tom, I don't know if you were familiar with this book series. I actually read the first one when it came out years ago. Had you heard of this series before? I had never heard of it. The very first time I saw it was probably watching season three of Ted Lasso and seeing this in the kind of new hot available shows. This is kind of a show that I feel is a bit under the radar. Um, it's been very well reviewed and very well received. And we love doing pods on kind of mysterious type shows. But I don't think Apple's put a whole lot of marketing into this. Oh, I don't know, Tom. I hear that this show's so dang hot right now. It's just <laughs> the hottest. It's like Hansel, you know? Mm hmm. I want to say that this book and this series 
had an effect on my life because this was back, and this is going to be a weird deep dive, but Amazon had a real push for self-publishing books. And the story behind this guy is I think he started to write this book. He put it online. People started to read it. And then he ended up like self-publishing and then getting a publishing deal. And so Mm. this was like Amazon's way of being like, hey, have you written something? Do you want to self-publish it so you might make tens of dollars over the next, (laughs) I don't know, 13 years? Maybe I'm being a little too specific. Doesn't matter. But this was one of those where they used it as like an advertisement for their own series. I think it has gone on to be pretty well received. I only read the first book. And to be honest, as I watched the show, I could not remember any of it. So I'm watching this with fresh eyes, Tom. Fresh, I was fresh gonna, eyes. I was going to ask yeah, if you had remembered anything. So maybe you mentioned the book. Do you know how many books are in the series? Is it three or four? I have no idea, Tom. I read one. So I know there okay. are at least, <laughs> I can confirm there's at least one. And if I look across at the bookcase in my fancy office, I can see it on the shelf. It's called Wool. And it hasn't been picked up or read for, I don't know, 10 years. I'm not going to say it's not good. I'm just going to say I don't remember. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. Watching the credits, a name flashed across the screen for Graham Yost. And I was like, awesome. I know that name and I know he's done great stuff. Are you familiar with Graham Yost, the writer and creator of this show? I definitely, it was one of those things I saw the name, but couldn't pin where he's been from. So what's, what's his repertoire? So Justified is probably the biggest thing he's done. The FX show with Timothy Oliphant. I think he wrote the movie Speed, which let me backtrack. (laughs) The Keanu Reeves, uh, Sandra Bullock vehicle that can't slow down is probably (laughs) Speed. So Graham Yost was a part of that. The Americans, also an FX show. Mm. And then I do know he was part of the HBO series Band of Brothers and Pacific. So someone I will give a lot of, like, leeway is the wrong word, but I respect what he's done, his, Mm -hmm. let's just say, body of work. Um, I have no comments on his physical body. I don't know (laughs) what he looks like, but his body of work... I respect. So I was excited to see that he was part of this uh, this vehicle. Yeah, when you mentioned Band of Brothers in the Pacific, like I feel like I can see some of that in some of like kind of the dark, ominous, muted colors and tones and just feel of these camera shots. Because I feel like what I love about and what's really gripped me to the show in the first two episodes is just like the scenery and the environment. It kind of has like a Lost City Zion from the Matrix kind of vibe. I like the limited use of CGI. It seems like a good chunk of this stuff is pretty practical for these these uh, characters and, and actors to play in. And it's just a lot of like little nuance and detail that I think we'll kind of get into that I'm, I'm hooked two episodes in. Sure. It would be a little bit weird if all these people were forced to live in a silo and they just had unlimited, unlimited resources and a lot of colorful like silk clothes. So <laughs> I think his aesthetic makes sense for the, I don't know, it's not... Is it not utopian? It would be uh, dystopian. dystopian, right? Digrestopian. Got it. Yes. Also, <laughs> if this is your first podcast with us, Tom and I are not doctors, wordsmiths, or educated in really any way, <laughs> shape, or form. There's an opening speech that really paints a picture of kind of, hey, 
here's the world. Like, we're going to dive into this. It's the narration of we don't know why we're here. We don't know who built the silo. We don't know why everything outside is is as it is. We don't know when it'll be safe to go outside. We only know that that day is not this day. Gives me chills. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) I I did not do the actor justice, but it's like, okay, there it is. We're in a silo. We don't know why we're here. We dive into it more through this first episode. And so I've got questions. Tom and I love shows like this because you got to kind of guess at what's going on. And my only issue is I hope that my, I don't know, third eye will not reveal (laughs) what I read in the book all those many years ago. I hope it remains to be dumb like my brain that does not remember. That is (laughs) Like your other two eyes. Yes, my other two (laughs) eyes and my bad knees. Yes, that's exactly right. So that's the whole premise, and they paint this picture with this Freedom Day, and Freedom Day is just explained to us that, hey, a rebellion happened, these bad rebels uh, tried to open a door they were going to let the poison in they also by the way deleted our history like on the (laughs) second watch when this was all repeated to me i was like hey guys in the silo like let's question a few things it's like (laughs) when is the rebellion ever bad name one rebellion in stories that's ever (laughs) bad Oh, if you know a rebellion that's bad, you can add us at teambingepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to be educated on bad rebellions. Yeah, the, the idea that, because what is the civil war between the rebellion and the founders? And like the idea of the founders here, they get to establish all these new rules. So likely they are rewriting history by literally deleting history. Yes. And I would argue, I, I guess I'm confused a bit about the timeline stuff is if this is only 140 years since that rebellion, wouldn't you think there would be... I don't know, grandparents or older folks that would have like passed on like just stories and general knowledge, even if you do delete and remove any sort of books or literature talking about the history. I'm wondering how like people's minds are just completely unaware of like how the silo became. I don't know, Tom, do you know anyone that knows uh, or lived through 140 years ago? (laughs) Could you pick up a phone and I don't know, fax them or Morse code them? I don't, it's a good point. One, 140 years seems like a weird, like, timeline. But if I think about it, 140 year, 140 years from us would be, oh, man, um, 1880, right? Did I do yeah. that math right? So, <laughs> no. yeah, I wouldn't suspect there's anyone walking around and be like, hey, back in 1880, when we were all recovering from the Civil War, this is what went on. Well, they make mention of the founders, and like I guess the founders are still alive in some form or fashion. So like those are the people probably holding on to the lie and are aware and know of how the silo came to be and and what they really are erasing from the rest of everybody. So I, I'm I'm okay with that, but it just kind of made me question it a bit. I don't think they're. I don't think founders from 140 years ago are still around. I think the founders are just kind of a generic term for hey, the people that started the silo, started these rules, started this society that's been working. No, I don't think there's 150-year-old just walking around. This I think isn't the, idea... the Bible, Tom. What's going on here? <laughs> no, I think the idea is like maybe like these founders are like the rich and affluent living on like the first floor of the silo. And like those are the families that are maybe holding on to some of these close-knit secrets. That's maybe. an interesting... I don't know. That's an interesting point, because I don't think we've met anyone like the 
the people that we meet way at the tip top. I don't know. These shows are great because they all have their own verbiage. So they're mm-hmm. like down here in the deep down. And you're like, really? That's what we're going to call it. And so I assume the people at the top level are like up here at the tip top. And then you've got to kind of, this is a podcast, so no one can see my hand motions, but I'm just like one finger spin point up in the sky up here at the tip top. Um, yeah, I don't know that the tip top people are having like much better lives than the mm-hmm. down the, the down deeps. Oh man, Tom, if we have to start talking in the language of silo, I don't know. I don't know where that leaves us. But um, I geez. love the the world that this this builds. Like just the little things where there's no pictures. Like when it goes to the sheriff's like house and we see him and the pictures of him and his wife Allison, who we'll meet here shortly. It's not pictures. It's just drawings of them or like the little like Uber Eats guys that are running around the backpacks on delivering food, I guess. Like they call them porters. <laughs> <laughs> like all of those just running in the background of all these right, scenes. Right. Like there's so many like little tiny, tiny bits. And I'm sure you can catch multiple watches and, and catch something new. Sure. Sure. So that's the premise. We don't know what's going on. We're trying to figure out what our history is. We're all stuck in these silos that are not filled with any type of grain. The show is led by some, I would argue, very strong actors and actresses. There's no one in here that I did not recognize or appreciate or be like, oh, I like that person from such and such. Mm-hmm. Um, the issue I'm going to have with this show is time jumps and being like, mm-hmm. wait, who's alive? Who's dead? Who's outside? And so it's going to be fun to talk about because I guarantee it's going to get Tom's favorite word. Timey-wimey. Timey-wimey. There it is. <laughs> All right. So the actors and main players, we've got Sheriff Holston, who is played by, who, good luck, Julian, on this last name, David Oleowo. <laughs> Oyelowo. Uh, thank you, Tom. Thank you very much for saving me. Let's keep it in. Let's keep it in post, guys. Yeah? All right, good. I got, Thanks, I got a thumbs up from the booth. Thanks, Jimmy. We've got Deputy Marnes, who... Uh, is a uh, a team binge favorite. Uh, Front Will of the Patton. pot. Friend mm-hmm. of the pot, I wish. <laughs> I wish he was a, he's playing the same character, it feels like, right? He stepped yeah, up. 100%. Yeah, he's an old school sheriff, cowboy slash whatever, who is uh, from Outer Range, one of our other pods that we, we covered. So Just great singing, to see him back. Singing and shouting at dead owls. That's all he's doing. <laughs> well, Will Patton. Um, Denzel Washington's assistant coach in Remember the Titans. That's that's who he'll always be to me. He's great. Rashida Jones. This was new for me to see Rashida Jones as Sheriff Holston's wife. Her name, Allison. Uh, I mean, Parks and Rec is our, our main Rashida Jones reference, right? Do you have other Rashida Jones? And this is very much not Parks and Rec. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, The Office and Parks and Rec were definitely her big kind of comedy roles. And I mean, I just love, I don't think I've, I'm with you. I haven't seen her in too many dramatic roles. I know she's done a lot. I think she's done a lot behind the camera too and, and writing and directing and stuff. But man, is she incredible in this pilot episode. Like this kind of almost reminded me of like a Sean Bean kind of in the first season of Game of Thrones. Like you need a strong, powerful actor to set the scene here. Sure. And I think she does an incredible, incredible job. She does great. 
We don't get much of him, but we've got Bernard, who is Tim Robbins. Uh, he's mm -hmm. like the media guy, I guess. He's in charge. He's in charge of the news. <laughs> like that one guy in that Bond movie that does that one thing and controls yesterday's news. That's Tim Robbins in this show. That's my direct <laughs> correlation. And then we don't see much of him, if any, in the first episode. But we've got Common, who's going to be part of Judicial who I mm -hmm. guess are like the big bad enforcers. Once again, part of my brain is going to reject the lingo I'm going to have to learn <laughs> for this show, uh, which I hope, listen, we talk about these shows with all due respect. Like we appreciate them. We consume them. We know that the work goes into them, but I am not going to pretend like I'm going to be talking <laughs> in this outside of this. I'm not going to be in thre threads and forums being like, oh, the judicials. But I know there's a world out there, Tom, that really loves the silo world. I guarantee it. Yeah, that's it. my job. Okay, Tom. <laughs> Tom has volunteered. Tom is. Tom will be the tribute, I guess. Hunger Games is that? Yep. There's some Hunger two fingers. Games. This is a yeah. podcast. You can't see. I'm holding up two fingers. Uh, I'm holding up one finger, my friend. <laughs> we have uh, Juliet Nicholas. Nicholas. Nichols. 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 Okay. Well, the outline, which I typed, is wrong. <laughs> Uh, played by Rebecca Ferguson, and what's fun is my wife and I are currently working our way through the Mission Impossible movies, and Rebecca Ferguson mm. obviously takes on a role in the latter ones of those, and she's great. The one thing I find funny, and you can make it a drinking game, is uh, listen for when Sheriff Holston and Juliet's accents change. Uh, and then you take a drink as you're watching the show, <laughs> and uh, it's a it's a good time. You'll get hammered. Are they? They're both British actors, right? So sometimes they they go into it. I don't think I ever caught it. I think. Oh, you okay? Fine. That's listen. I won't be the accent police, but it okay. Several okay. Times. Gonna, now I'm gonna listen for it. Good. I hope I ruined the show for you. You're <laughs> like, what's this Swedish person doing at the bottom <laughs> of the silo fixing generators? Uh, and then we have um, the mayor, who is played by Geraldine James. I did not know this actress. Did you know this actress? No, I'm sure she has a, a good pedigree of, of film, but I didn't recognize her. Great conversation, Tom and Julian. That's the type of stuff people tune in for. Did you recognize that person? I didn't recognize that person. Great. Good work. High five, buddy. <laughs> Moving on. That was my fault. Sorry, Tom. This... This whole opening scene, and, and to your point earlier, there's like a vibe to this show, which is great. And this reminded me of kind of 1899 in the fact that there's kind of like a steampunk old school like aesthetic to it. But then mm -hmm. you're spending the whole time trying to be like, OK, like they're giving you clues to work out what the world is like. And these are the types of show my brain enjoys because... It has to work, and it typically doesn't work at all. I think this pilot, more so than than many others that are setting up this mystery in a brand new world, does a fantastic job of kind of doing both showing and telling, where they kind of talk a little bit about the rebellion by having like a play in the background, or they show the screen and then have kind of characters kind of talk about it or whatever. It's not just exposition dumps. Like we don't get some big like text on the screen when we first open. I love learning about the world through through this first uh, first episode was really really well done. No, I agree. We open as shows should do. They're like, hey, this is going to happen, and the character that we're going to make you like 
he wants to go out. And so the mm-hmm. sheriff has make, made this declaration where he's like, I declare bankruptcy, <laughs> I believe is how it is. So We make a lot of office references if you're new to us, so take a shot. Good luck. He's doing some, some interesting things here, right? Like he's kind of unscrewing the vent, which we don't really know why. He's kind of writing that note to double the flowers in the front of the mirror. So I'm assuming we'll get kind of more to this maybe as we know more about what this is because this is again kind of a time jump this we find out that this is kind of more in the future than some of the back stuff we see is kind of more in the past so, right we do like a two year we do a three year uh to when allison exits and then we do a two year after that and so yes mm-hmm. there is some time jumping if it's confusing for tom and i to talk about these things that's fine we're often confused I did appreciate you bringing up the unscrewing of the vent. It took me two watches to realize that he is definitely hiding something up there. And what he's hiding, I think you and I are kind of on the same page. What did you think he was hiding up there in the vent? Yeah, my assumption is because we've seen the first two episodes here that he's probably hiding the hard drive that he ultimately takes from Juliet later in the second episode. And maybe he's leaving that behind for her, assuming that... If she takes up the sheriff role, then she would get this house um, and then she'd be able to find it. I would assume maybe the note has something to do with that as well. Maybe it's a code word or something between the two of them about doubling the flowers. I got to be honest, two watches, never read the note. I was like, I came here to watch TV, not read stuff. So I <laughs> could have lead, I, <laughs> not to read. I could have read the book, uh, which wait, <laughs> I did. Never mind. That doesn't make sense. We find out that this getting sent out is essentially a death sentence and that Sheriff Holston's wife was sent out three years earlier. All right, then it jumps into the opening credits. And we always kind of like to touch on these credits, I think, in some of these new shows. I don't watch them every time. Generally, I'll skip. But the first time, I'm going to watch all the way through. Very cool, very trippy, the way it's kind of shot, where we kind of have like an apple falling from a tree. You know, apple kind of decays and grows into a tree. You kind of like have the view of the silo is kind of like a spine in an x-ray and the way the stairs kind of spiral forms like a dna strand and like kind of all the cogs and gears of the silo i I don't know if we're going to be able to go back to this and be able to discern anything but i thought it was pretty cool and and pretty well done i like when they're not just throwing people's names on the screen they're kind of giving us a little bit of story elements I'm so mad right now. You did the thing where you were like, hey, I don't know if we'll be able to go back and discern this and this will give us plot lines. And you're referring to the after party, which Tom (laughs) realized the credits of the after party, which, spoiler, don't listen for the next, I don't know, 15 seconds if you haven't watched the show. But the credits of the TV show After Party on Apple, which we podcasted about, uh, actually explain not the show necessarily, but they break down the episodes. And so mm-hmm. every time we watch a show and Tom watches the opening credits, he's looking for little Easter eggs. Well, guess <laughs> what? There's no bunny here, son. So no <laughs> opening credit secrets for you, my friend. I just Yet. think there is something about all opening credits these days, or at least the shows we watch, they feel like they're done by the same person. Like the Game of Thrones people were like, We've got opening credits for now on. And everyone's like, hey, we have a show about a silo. Can you do this? And they do it. I don't know. I just feel like they all have a similar vibe. Oh, like um, 
The Last of Us. We didn't mention The Last of Us, Tom. The Last of Us mm-hmm. is a TV show. I felt like the opening credits for The Last of Us are similar to this one. Yay, mm-hmm. nay, they have names that flash, and then there's stuff <laughs> going on in the background, and there's music. See? I've pinpointed why they're all similar. Man, I can be dumb. All right. We find out in this silo there are lots of rules. You're not allowed to question what happened. They, ooh, it's tough listening to an adult say, like, the before time. They're like, we can't talk about the before time. And I was like, we've got to, like, we sound like children when we say the before time. Like, I, I think they're talking about the land before time, you know? Oh, the, the movie. Mm, classic. Epi- or ep- movies one through, I don't know, 16. But there is a pact that keeps everyone in line. And so everyone's got to follow these rules so we don't get out of line. So that, I mean, every dystopian world has these sort of, inane rules that someone is eventually going to buck up against right Mm -hmm. no relics tom there's a rule about relics you were pointing out how there's like like no pictures and there's like kind of an aesthetic of but there are these relics that seem to pop up and for a place that's getting rid of them they they seem to i don't know be falling out of people's pockets yeah, and it's interesting where they kind of, you don't know which ones are like approved or not approved, where she's wearing sure. the watch later, but I guess it's a, technically an approved relic. I don't I don't really know. I don't understand. They also make mention of like sending you down to the mines, which I don't understand. Is that like the down deeper place where they have to like <laughs> shovel coal? The down deeper place. <laughs> oh, please. I want to hear adults say the before time and the down deeper place. And man, once again. Listen, we're in the down deeper. We can't be concerned about those down deep people. Oh, man. Oh, that's great. I hope that's the verbiage. I don't know. I don't know where the mines are. I'm assuming they mine silos. Who knows? They're just like a dude with a headlamp and a hammer. And he's like, I found another silo. I don't know. Uh but it seems to be a place that people get punished. It seems like your punishments are down to the mines or uh, you go outside and you die. I'd be mm-hmm. interested because, well, we'll dive into it. But yes, I'm interested to know where the mines are and if this mm-hmm. is just not a punishment that's thrown around to keep people in line. Yeah. There is a, speaking of people in line and keeping them in said line, much like Disneyland or any other amusement park, (laughs) there's a screen that shows the outside world. And this is explained, and we can dive into this, but essentially when people are sent outside, it's called being sent to clean. And Mm -hmm. so they are sent out of the silo. It is a death sentence because I guess the world outside is poisonous or radioactive. I don't know that they really get into it. And then when these people are sent out to die, they clean off the lens so that everyone in the silo can still see the outside world. And the, mm-hmm. seeing the outside world is this, like, I don't know, eternal hope of, like, hey, if we keep going, eventually we'll see the sky again, right? Yeah, that's the idea. It's reminding people of, like, I guess how good they have it inside the silo and that if people have to go out there and clean. I don't... I don't know if I understand like why everybody like cheers when somebody goes out there and then they ultimately clean the lens. I mean, we kind of know why they clean the lens in, in later bits here, but it seems odd for them to be like all cheery and happy when they know that these people are going to die in the next three minutes. Tom, have you never used your window wipers on your car before? <laughs> I mean, you're looking out your window, you can't see anything. You use your window wipers. What is everyone's reaction? You cheer because you can see. I mean, this That's is... True. 
they this do is you a honk common a lot thing. Everyone cheers. I'm sure there are people listening to this in their car. Not many, probably less than five. But <laughs> if they use their window wipers, they'd probably cheer and they'd have to rewind the podcast. Um, unless it's doing ads, then they'd fast forward. Anyways, I digress. Whenever <laughs> something becomes clear, you cheer. Those mm-hmm. are the words of the silo. When it becomes clear, you cheer. That's what they sing, I think, on Freedom Day, which is a celebration about putting down those evil rebels that no one knows mm-hmm. anything about. And speaking of Freedom Day, I think this is at one point they put up the slide attachment of the stairs. And I would argue, why do they not always have the slide attachment on the stairs? I mean, they, they make one little play where like, kids are going down and having a great time, but it seems like a much better mode of transportation to go downstairs. Can you imagine having to walk back up those stairs you have like a glorious slide and then you're like well looks like i'm walking up 40 flights of stairs for one you'd hit such a speed that like you'd either start losing clothing or just like the friction alone would burn i don't know i've always been tom and you know this about me and i think you brought this up just to push my hot buttons anti-slide i'm against sliding at all costs in all situations (laughs) I think even firefighters, too much, no sliding. Mm, that slip and slide accident, no eight. <laughs> and that gasoline fight in 10. <laughs> Anyways. There is a there is a quick bit here. I don't know if this means anything, but I clocked it where the mayor goes to like look at her watch before she gives this big old like speech about like being in the silo and celebrating the rebel takedown and blah, blah, blah about the founders. But if you look at her watch, it literally is six uh, six oh six and six seconds. So the watch okay. says six 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 on it. I don't know what to make of that, but that is such an odd thing for this watch to show. And I think it is like I don't know if it's stuck on this time. I don't think it was moving. I don't. I don't know. But I thought that was really odd. That is strange. In a show like this, I think all of those things mean something. So right. for those of you who don't know, Tom is a gumshoe, and he will pay <laughs> attention to anything that is like a written word on a show, anything that is flashed on a phone, and anything that is flashed on a watch, even if that watch is showing revelations, the mark of the beast. And so the mayor is the devil, probably. (laughs) I don't know. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We are introduced to, I'm going to describe her as the hippie infertility lady. Her name is Mm -hmm. Gloria Hildenbrand. Um, I think I can describe her that way, and we will all immediately picture who I'm talking about. (laughs) She has a conversation. I just love how dismissive the sheriff is of her, and almost to the point of, please say something so I can eject you out of the silo uh, (laughs) to your death. Like, apparently he's had run-ins with this woman, and he has no time for her. 
And so yeah, because they and when we kind of talked about in the beginning, but obviously the whole premise of this is they got selected in this lottery to try to have a child, which they do not yet. The Sheriff Holston and Allison here, and so this uh, Gloria lady is kind of the one that's putting this kind of bug into her ear about people listening and kind of making Allison not quite paranoid yet, but is getting her in that mindset. Yeah, essentially she's pointing out to Allison, hey, are you the type of person that they want to be pregnant because you're going to pass down your, like, rebel, I guess, genes to them? Mm -hmm. Like, if you're a questioner, then you're going to make a questioner, which I don't think that's how questioning uh, works. (laughs) I don't think it's passed down through, I don't know, parent to child, but I'm not a scientist, so who knows? Mm -hmm. But she does... This is kind of the show being like, hey, there's more things going on here. Like there's mm-hmm. a there is a or at least people think there is a higher level of uh, conspiracy where mm-hmm. everything you're doing is being listened to. We have uh, Allison uh, meeting with a programmer whose name is George Wilkins. And this will come into play further into the episode and also in episode two. But this kicks it off with. George showing her a deleted files on a hard drive that, well, I mean, she has to hack, but it's a hard mm-hmm. drive that's 140 years old. Tom, do any of the hard drives you own look like this hard drive? Uh, no, but the, the, I mean, when I saw it, I immediately recognized it as a hard drive. Is it not oh, the kind wow. of hard drives that you would have or I would have at home, but these are the kind of ones you put in like servers and things like that. I thought it was two hotel bells uh, taped together <laughs> and covered in, I don't know, brown paint. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> but you've always been the tech guy between us, and I've always mm-hmm. been the hotel sound machine guy. So <laughs> that's where my brain goes. They have a, uh, a fun time trying to open it. And this all comes because Allison had, I guess, put out some article about retrieving deleted files that Bernard mm-hmm. then, like, deleted. I don't... Uh, it didn't feel like this was a big computer world in terms of a bunch of people spending times on computers. Am I wrong on that? No, I think you're right. So, like, his, I guess, profession here is just kind of a computer repair guy, and she, I guess, writes for the IT department doing articles and things like that. But I think he kind of senses some sort of, like, rebellious nature in her by posting this deleted thing and then he spent who knows how much money getting paper and stuff printed she makes mention that that's very expensive which would make sense but the idea of this kind of hard drive and relic that he finds here is what he found it said under a closet or in a closet under carpet and then having this 18 on it so again i don't know if we'll find out where this initially came from i'm sure we're going to find out more about that 18 but i love the little little nuance and mystery they add here it's great. We see some silo blueprints, which doesn't take uh, a huge brain to see that stuff on a computer and be like, <laughs> okay, these are blueprints. And mm-hmm. they. Uh, this is probably one of those scenes where if you paused, you could find a lot of stuff in it. So I don't know if you did. I did not because who's got the time, but... Um, <laughs> there wasn't much. I mean, they're they're kind of blurry-ish blueprints from what I saw. And I think it just kind of shows... The biggest one is the one at the end where it shows the silo and then kind of that massive concrete and then kind of the bottom tunnel and like where that leads, which I think is how we end episode two. So um, I think we'll kind of touch on it later, but I don't think there's a whole lot in this initial dump. Let me ask you, Tom, did you pause it? Uh, I did not pause it. Okay, wonderful. I just watched the episode twice, and as I was watching, I'm like, is there anything worth pausing? And not in this scene. Good. I paused later, though. 
Oh, interesting. Probably during the office scene between the sheriff and Allison. Right? <laughs> Anyways, let's move on from that. They see a video. We watch Allison watching a video of the outside world, right? And it's like sky and birds. Yeah, and th- this is certainly the big reveal of the idea. It's like Jane Carmody cleaning, I think is what it was, like this file was named. And as they're looking at it, I love the way this is shot too, where you don't see the screen, you just see a close-up of Allison and the reflection from her glasses, which shows that kind of iconic tree in the background that we've seen in the you know kind of outside footage where the people kind of go and ultimately seemingly die. Um, and you see the birds flying in it, beautiful tree, beautiful green bushes and everything ev- uh, everywhere. And that, like, I think just opens up her eyes and what is real right now. This mm-hmm. is all overcut with Freedom Day and they're doing their Freedom Day celebration, which is uh, not just all slides and happiness. There's some singing and some other stuff going on. Yeah, fire lanterns seem like a very unsafe thing to do in a silo, although very cinematic and very cool looking. Uh, probably not the safest. I think he does. Sheriff does mention they've got fire guys on like every tenth level. That's not enough. No, you need more. You need more fire guys. Not enough. I'm assuming they're pumping like pure oxygen into this silo somewhere. <laughs> <Yeah>. So um, <laughs> once again, and it's also good a... to see the uh, Vuvuzelos making a comeback as everybody blows these horns. <laughs> I think I get that reference. That's that weird funny horn 2008 africa world cup yeah that's what it is the world cup (laughs) all right yeah so this all leads to this hard drive and seeing this video leads to allison to start to question uh my favorite scenes in any show and tom and i talk about this often is just hey if a little bit more communication happened between <laughs> characters, maybe we, well, we wouldn't have shows that because they just like work <laughs> out their differences or whatever. But there is a moment where uh, he's like, are you okay? She's like, no. He's like, do you want, she's like, no. And it's like, all right, let's not talk about it. And let's <laughs> let this TV show run its plot course, please. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, she even makes a line like, you don't always listen, honey. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, we get it. <laughs> I think, yeah, just she say, like, talking's not listening or something? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, as parents of young children, these are, these are <laughs> lessons we must impart. She talks about them wanting uh, docile, obedient people and that the mm-hmm. inf- infertility was purposeful. And uh, I'm okay with blood. I'm not going to say I fainted, um, <laughs> but... More little weird, like, metal pills were pulled out of people than I want in my TV shows, I guess. No. Yeah, this seems like a very painful IUD. I mean, I'm, I'm a man. I don't know how painful current, like, regular ones are, but this seems very archaic with this just metal ball with spikes sure. kind of in the middle. Yeah. But, yeah, she goes for it. She cuts into her hip and then takes this thing out, which, again, I love the way Rikishita Jones kind of plays this because she's like okay, as my husband, I know you're a sheriff, you need proof. So she can't just say these things to him. She needed to cut this thing out to actually show him and get him to believe it was huge and powerful. Right. Allison makes her way to the cafeteria, and this is why when Sheriff Holston is trying to get the doctor, and she says the thing you're not supposed to say, there's a part where Holston's like, listen, if you boil the pack down to one thing, is if mm-hmm. you say you want to go out, you will bleep and go out. So I thought 
she's like, listen, I, I want to go out. None of this is real. Just, I wish in modern society, Tom, and in, in this day and age, where you and I, this year being 1993, um, I think it would be great if we could end conversations by just screaming, I want to go out. Like, I feel like I'm going to just start using that and I should be able to then leave said conversation by just screaming, I want to go out because it's a great showstopper. I think you can. I think that's, uh, that's uh, you can do that. I'm going to just start. Next time my kid's telling me about some video game from the 80s, I'm going to be like, I want to go out. And then I'm just going to go outside. Uh, but then you can't come back in, though. Uh, well, that's fine. I'll take it. The, uh, the mayor discusses... Uh, he's with, she's with the sheriff. She's with the deputy. And she's like, listen, you know, there are ways we can try and like, hey, did people mishear her? There's all these mm-hmm. things. And the sheriff is resigned to going out there, which I thought was interesting, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like that's his job. That's his role is to keep this this order, and he's like struggling to deal with it. But he feels like his his duty and honor to that thing because that's all they have. Like you mentioned, like that's the one rule they can't really break. And I love the the use of the word irrevocable. I think I had to look it up, but I I just loved that word. I feel like I heard that in the Matrix, and I always thought it was fancy. So knowing that, uh, yeah, you can't take this thing back once you say it. It's out there. You don't get to push those words back in. I love that like concept and idea. It's a great word. I think if I tried to repeat it right now, I'd really mess it up. So I'm just going to let you have it. <laughs> to your point, Sheriff Holston has a great line where he says, I'm going to be there. I'm going to uphold my oath. And she's like, listen, people will understand if you take the day off, you know, go get an ice cream. I don't know. Wander the park. <laughs> uh, and he's like, what's the value of an oath if you only stick to it when it's easy? Such a great line. Such a great mm-hmm. life lesson i love it i love it so much (laughs) and then we have a conversation i believe between allison and the sheriff when she's in the cell right and she tells him Mm -hmm. hey the big thing i found out is that i'm not going to die out there they can alter the image that we see on that screen like people don't go there and die Uh, and the only way for me to find out is me going out there and Mm -hmm. i just I really appreciate, once again, I've not seen Rashida Jones much outside of a comedic-like environment. I think she does a great job here. Uh, I think Sheriff Holston does uh, a, a wonderful job in terms of how this is all acted and, like, the weight of this and just the weirdness of, like, being married to someone and then all of a sudden they're just like, listen, mm-hmm. I have to do this. I have to find the truth. You know, the earth is flat, like <laughs> there, we never landed on the moon. All those things that someone would, you know, express to you. And you're kind of like, I can't believe I was married to this person for this long. And now they're going. <laughs> Anyways, no, that's not what he's going through because he really loves her. But I, I thought the dynamic was interesting. It is. And I think even the play where she leaves after saying all this, saying, hey, if it's beautiful out there, I'm going to clean the lens. That's how you'll know. Like he doesn't take immediate action and then say, okay, I've got to go out there and follow my wife. It still takes him two years and he's still trying to make sense of it. Right, right. They And to your point, they have that conversation about like, 
why do people clean? Like, if they're mm-hmm. sentenced to death, why she brings up, hey, so-and-so, like, guaranteed they weren't going to clean. They promised it. And it is mm-hmm. kind of a thing where it's like, listen, I'm going to go die. I'm going to give the middle finger to the camera. I'm not going to go <laughs> clean it. But mm-hmm. her comment is, I think what happens is people get out there, they realize how green and lush and beautiful it is, and they clean it so that the people inside can see. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then that is where she does make that pact of like, Hey, if it's, if it's beautiful out here, I will, I will clean. And I got to be honest, I don't know what was happening, but I missed this. I missed this on the first watch. So on the second watch, it, it had a much more impact on me when she does, when she does clean, but let's not go to that. Let's go to spacesuits and helmets and the absolute duct taping of <laughs> wrists and ankles that goes on. Do we still duct tape uh, space people's stuff to them before they get sent out? Or I guess this person's not going into space. It's a little bit different. Yeah, I mean, if you're only going to live for three minutes, they probably don't care that much. I mean, my initial thought here was like when they kind of collapse and go out there was that maybe they're being poisoned from inside like the suit itself is what's poisoning them not what is outside because we see that bit where all these people like collapse in three minutes and they're being told that they've got to put on this thing that is putting air and other stuff inside of them so i feel like there might potentially be something to that but i do appreciate like the crazy emotional scene and how incredible this is acted from both uh holston and allison here where he, you know, Holston has got to give his whole share of speech as his tears are coming down his eyes and asks her, like, you know, do you have any final words? And it's the I love you right to him. And it's just oh, brutal and, and just so, so well done. Yep, it is. It is brutal. I think you're making a good point. These suits come out of these, like, very specific boxes. There's, like, a ceremony to it. One would argue, hey, if you're sending someone else to die, why are you giving them a suit and helmet i guess Mm -hmm. you could argue like hey every once in a while we need to send someone outside just to see if it's like livable maybe that's what it is and so we Mm -hmm. give them a fighter's a a puncher's chance to get out (laughs) there and live with this weird space suit (laughs) i just want them to put the helmet on there like be a hose out the back and the person be like hey this hose isn't attached to anything like there's no (laughs) tank back here it's just and they're like, dude, just you're gonna be dead in 15 minutes, so don't don't worry about it. Like, yeah. mainly mainly <laughs> just for the cameras. And they're like, what cameras? And he's like, oh, oh, shh, no, never mind, never mind, never <laughs> mind. Gonna get me fired. Just go out the hatch. I don't know, but Allison does go out. She cleans the lens, and then she gets a little bit up the hill and collapses. From mm-hmm. what and why? We do not know. Because they don't talk about radiation, right? They talk about poison outside, which... It's just poison, yeah. Okay, okay. Very generic. Don't know what it's from, yeah. Don't know what it's from. We cut two years, right? So this is two years after Allison's death. Mm -hmm. I think we get another shot of the the vent that was in the sheriff's kind of uh, flat or house, whatever it is. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like, okay, what's in there? And we think it's the hard drive, right? That's our official our official guess is the hard drive. Two episodes in? Yeah, let's go hard drive. Okay. Our other option is a baby. Okay? There's either a baby <laughs> in that vent uh, and time is a ticket, or there is a hard drive. And time is ticking, but not as fast for that hard drive. George Wilkins 
we find out so he's the programmer is moved to mechanical and he dies and then the conversation is whether or not it's suicide or murder and this is kind of setting up episode two where we're going to mm-hmm. dive into and the deputy marns is like there's an engineer down there saying it's murder um and this is where we meet rebecca ferguson's character nick uh, juliet nichols uh, and they're like, why isn't she here? We're supposed to question her. And they're like, well, she's an engineer. She's keeping all of us alive. Dun, dun, dun. So we're on some sort of silo life support. And uh, we cut to the present where the sheriff is going to find out uh, if Allison is, I guess, still alive. He's got to know the truth. So this is mm-hmm. his whole purposeful reason for going out. Something has been triggered in the year, right? In the two years after her death to year three in that year when he meets Juliet Nichols, something has gone on that caused him to go outside. Right. Mm-hmm. That's my understanding of the timeline. Yes, for sure. So through, through that, that time frame, we'll figure out what, you know, the conversations or how deep he goes down the rabbit hole with uh, Juliet. Okay. Okay. Strong first episode. They've established the world. We meet the characters. We know what's at play. The timey-wimey stuff can get a little bit confusing. I think it took me a second watch and subtitles in order to figure this stuff out. But I love a good mystery. I love a dystopian environment. Uh, and I love me some Sheriff Holston. And <laughs> I'm excited. I was excited. I've already met her, but I'm excited for... Rebecca Ferguson's character into episode two, which Tom and I are now going to talk about. Unless, Tom, you have final comments on episode one. No, again, I thought it was an incredibly strong pilot. I'm definitely there for it and and excited to see where the show goes. They they did a lot of good mystery and incredible world world building for one hour. So, I mean, kudos to the first episode. It got me hooked. The Captain Sully of, of Pilots. Dang it, I said episode. That joke doesn't make any sense, Julian. Be better. Because <laughs> <sighs> Pilot, Tom, you get it? Because Captain Sully, the, gotcha. he's a pilot. Do you, get the, do you get it? We'll cut all this out. Let's not leave it in. Okay. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's kick off episode two. This episode is called Holston's Pick. And I don't pay attention to episode titles. I leave it up to you to make them up, uh, typically. (laughs) But this is about who is going to replace Holston after he goes out the hatch. This episode two is where we meet Juliet Nichols, Rebecca Ferguson's character. And this is her telling the story. And uh, like the... The whole premise of this is essentially she watches uh, Holston go out to clean. He cleans the lens 
Um, I do like his line before he goes out where they're like, any last words? And he's like, sorry for all the fuss. <laughs> yeah. The very emotional, I love you from his wife. And then he just says, sorry for all the fuss. It's sorry good. for all the fuss. I would like to go back. I bet through history, and maybe this is something that's someone has compiled and recorded, but all of the last words from someone either before an execution or... Just like, I mean, famous last words, I guess, is a phrase. So it would be interesting to know, like, if you could go back to the Wild West before the gallows drops, uh, what everyone's comments were. Uh, What are your uh, famous last words? Well, I think of um, the Franco that no one wants to talk about anymore in that one Western where he's like, oh, first time. And he's like about to be hung. That that meme is that not a popular meme? Am I not allowed? I don't know to anything you're this? talking about. Nope. No, okay, not going to help me out at all. <laughs> Sorry. Oh no. All right. I've got to uh, under. I got to know what you're talking about to be able to do it. I'm sorry. I appreciate it. All right. Well then, let's move on. And I guess we have levels of cafeterias, Tom. And maybe you can't understand this because you were always at the cool guy table uh, at the high the school tip-top. cafeteria. You were the tip top. And I was in the down deep below mines, uh, just trying to grind it out with, uh, I don't know, French fries? Uh, Who knows what cafeterias serve anymore. But we have lower level cafeterias, and these are the people we established. There's like a group of blue collar, we'll call them, like Mm -hmm. hands-on mechanical workers that are keeping everyone in the silo alive. So Mm -hmm. water, fuel, oxygen, whatever it takes, generators. And Juliet Nichols is part of that group. We have Holston sees beautiful things. Okay, and I think this is worth noting, Tom, and I don't know if you want to go into it now, but they're sent out, they have a helmet on, and that helmet has a visor, right? So Holston mm-hmm. is seeing everything through a visor, and he says something like, Dag, Gummit, Allison, you were right. <laughs> and the like the light that is on his eyes is that it is not like the gray bleak world you see in the silo right mm-hmm. that's how you interpreted all of this i don't think i'm off there yeah and i think this is to be a very very big reveal for the second episode because i think there's a lot you can take from this so he kind of see he says oh allison you were right and they have to see it so he goes over he cleans the lens but a lot of stuff to pick up here where as he's looking around and sees the beauty of this world and the kind of tree we see in the background, there are no bodies on the floor. So what he's seeing... I'm sorry, is, the bodies have not hit the floor? <laughs> yes, the bodies have not hit the floor. They're not there. So his wife, kind of, you know, Allison, ultimately kind of passed out at the base of this tree and he doesn't see it. So that, to me, was kind of a big clue here. The other big clue is the birds that are flying in the sky are in the same exact kind of flying V formation that we saw in the reflection of Allison's glasses when she saw that that video on the hard drive. So my question immediately is, okay, well, this is what's not real. The initial assumption was, oh, the, the dark and ominous world they're trying to portray is not the real world, but I think the show is kind of playing with us a bit because when he ultimately, I think, takes his helmet off too, that's when he actually starts crawling towards his wife. Like he didn't even see his wife until he took off that helmet. And again, maybe the helmet was pumping in some poison or doing something else, but he doesn't kind of fall to her side and kind of grab her hand until he does that. Because if you see the other bodies too, they're all 
you know, away from each other. Like nobody's grouped up into the same place. So again, I know that was a lot and threw a lot at you, but I think it was a very poignant scene to kind of make it seem like what we're seeing on that screen is real and what they are seeing when they are wearing that helmet is a fancy version of Apple's new Vision Pro headset that is projecting that beautiful image onto their their little helmets. Good. Good timely reference that's going <laughs> to make sense uh, throughout time since that <laughs> Google thing or whatever, whoever makes it. It's is, Apple, bro. They should have actually had the Apple headsets. We gotta be, you got to be selling. This is an Apple TV Plus show. They'd be like, hey, if you ever want to convince someone the world's great and then slowly poison them, <laughs> here's our $3,500 virtual reality glasses. You're welcome. While you're using them, have a summer shandy by Lionel Coogan's, the refreshing beer of VR. If you're ever in VR and you're thirsty but you can't have a real beer, Lionel Coogan's, summer shandy. That joke will make sense to no one. Um, I like, Tom... You're a gumshoe. I like what you've got there. I like how you broke that down. I guess my only comment would be birds always fly in a V, so it's not <laughs> surprising that everyone sees birds flying in a V. But the no bodies and then him taking off the helmet. And I do appreciate they make a note in the room as mm-hmm. the blue collar or the, the oh, God. The down deep people, I don't know. <laughs> I, the lower, I don't want to say these terms, Tom. The deep down people make a comment in their cafeteria as <laughs> they watch him that, hey, has anyone taken off their helmet before? And I think mm-hmm. that is a strong clue from the show being like, hey, pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. And so we do get a shot of the sheriff like gasping but we only see him die on the monitor. And so we don't see him die like from the, cause we're seeing it two ways. We're like, there's a can't like say the show camera is out with him outside of the silo, but then we are also seeing things inside the silo inside the silo. We watch him die outside. We don't see him die. And I want to say the color is a little bit different when they show him without his helmet. It's almost brighter, maybe? No? No, I think what they're doing is when it shows him kind of gasping for air and kind of struggling to get to the side of his wife, I think it purposefully does not show the background because it wants to keep it ambiguous as to whether it truly is dark and ominous outside or if it is green and beautiful, like Allison had thought. Um, my Got assumption it. is once he takes his helmet off, he sees kind of the dark gray desolate land here and sees his wife dead there. Got I, it. I don't, I'm with you. I think they could do something where maybe they, they are alive, but I think, I think what we're seeing in those desolate images and what they put on the screen for the rest of the silo to see, I feel like those are accurate. accurate so you images. think, you think Sheriff and Allison in this moment are dead? I think so. Okay. I think so. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to scream it at you, but Juliet is yelling, as one does in a cafeteria. Never been in a cafeteria where someone randomly didn't yell. (laughs) But she's shouting, he's a liar. Um, And so my question is, who is the bleeping liar? And I think you and I are on the same page, because this will have been a year where she's had with Holston, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we don't know, like later on in the scene... Holston leaves her kind of saying, hey, I'll give you a signal or something. But we don't know how much time has been since they last talked, since 
you know, maybe he hasn't sent her a signal yet. Maybe that signal is going to be the sheriff's badge and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, my assumption is that's who she's referring to here. And I think it's even mentioned later when she talks to a toaster lady. Oh, the, yeah, when she's repairing the, the toaster. Yeah, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. lady that runs the toaster shop. Let's call her that. Yes. Yeah. Well, I do think, and this is well acted by Rebecca Ferguson, she is like dialed in to what he's doing and like where mm-hmm. he goes. And the camera just keeps like putting it on her. So yeah, definitely Holston. There's something going on between her and Holston and she is looking for some sort of sign from him. Mm-hmm. Um, we then cut to uh, Marnes who has a uh, note from Holston and he holds on to this information through this episode only to eventually reveal that Holston picked Juliet Nichols out of Mechanical to be his replacement. And I mm-hmm. think it's interesting. He says, if she is like not chosen for my replacement, my badge, and and like this should still be passed to her, even if she doesn't take on uh, the sheriff role, which I think... Yeah, it was like my personal property, this needs to go to her, like even if she doesn't get the role, which is interesting. Yeah, does this badge have any more significant meaning is this supposed to be the sign that he mentioned kind of later it's interesting my thought being he needs her to get into his office in order to get into the vent to mm-hmm. find what's in the vent right yeah maybe the badge is his key card i don't know how that works <laughs> good point good point we have this and i think this is interesting from a real uh, world building perspective is the mayor and marns are talking and she having sent a sheriff out to clean has been like going through uh, what history they have trying to figure out if that's ever happened before because she's mm-hmm. worried that sending out I would assume a relatively well-liked sheriff or one that you know hasn't been terrible is going to create some morale issues inside of the silo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's worried about the instability and that kind of cuts to all these journals seemingly of like past mayors and and I guess what had happened and she's trying to, to your point trying to find what had if this happened had has happened in the past but it's interesting so she stops reading or is currently reading and this is where i actually did a pause on the screen if you look closely the the one of the journal entries on there says year 97 and it's the same year that was that jane carmody cleaning so the one the video that allison saw where she sees everything as a bright green lush environment with birds and stuff flying she sees that video and there's a reference of that specific cleansing of Jane Carmody going out to to do that. So she is like the mayor is seemingly like right on that same kind of trail or time frame as to what ultimately got Allison to, you know, decide she wants to go out. Tom, your attention to detail and looking for clues is why (laughs) you're a gumshoe. And I did not pay any attention to that, but that is, that is very interesting. So I appreciate a show that'll go through that level of detail to kind of mm-hmm. give you a, I don't know, some clues in order to try and figure out uh, what's going on. Also looking for clues and trying to figure out what's going on is, I didn't quite understand this. There's this, there is a conversation that happens there between like the sheriffs where they're like, hey, a bunch of people are checking out like wrenches and like large tools and Marnes is like, Oh, we need to put a stop to it. Or that's concerning. They're giving us something here 
that I don't know other than having common come in and be judicial and like take down people's names that are Mm -hmm. kind of in an argument. Did you, did you read into, Hey, why are everyone, why are people checking out pipes and wrenches? Like, I mean, at this point, the assumption is that people are just scared and they're arming themselves. They're trying to get some sort of defense or weapon. So it's not saying that these people are going to start a rebellion, but they want to have the tools to defend themselves if something does happen. Tom, now I've always heard the best weapon and the way to defend yourself is through kindness. Is that not (laughs) true in this world? Are you not armoring yourself up with kindness no listen yeah kill them with kindness you know that that's that's a route they can try i do not think that is common's route because common is awesome and he's just so like menacing when he just walks in (laughs) i want to see more of him (laughs) yeah uh, it was great to see common Uh, i have a soft spot in my heart for common because he did uh, he was in hell on wheels which is a show that i appreciated and enjoyed Uh, i mean he's in a ton of other things but Mm -hmm. i uh good to see him good to see him here and I hope he gets to murder people with kindness later on in the episodes. <laughs> we have Juliet working on that toaster. And this is then where we get some like backstory fill that is really helpful. And uh, she's going to town on that toaster. Yeah. We, and this is where we find out that she is a brave little toaster. Tom, mm, <laughs> I don't get that reference. What is the... <laughs> This is, what is the Brave Little Toaster? You never watched the Brave Little Toaster? It was like a cartoon I watched when I was a kid. Cartoon movie where like a toaster comes to life and a vacuum cleaner and a lamp and they go on some crazy adventure. It's it's great. Watch it with your kids. Are they enslaved to work for a prince who's turned into a beast that has to trap a woman <laughs> and make him make her fall in love with him? If that's I don't, is that the same Brave Little Toaster? I don't Does think this so. Brave Little remember... Toaster have a French accent um, that is way over the top? I don't I don't think so. I remember there I think there's a blankie, a, a blanket that also comes to life. It's it's weird. Ooh. I couldn't tell you what the plot is, but I remember loving it as a kid. So Okay. Go check well, it out. Well, next time I'm a kid, I'll watch it. <laughs> George didn't die by suicide. He was murdered. Dun dun dun. Murder, murder, murder. murder, murder. murder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it so much. Uh, yeah, ours are so menacing. That's why they don't call it Muck Duck. Muck Duck. <laughs> Drink. <gasps> office reference. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. So this is Juliet explaining, and her and George were in some sort of illegal couple relationship. So mm-hmm. uh, they couldn't. I, uh, so you can't be romantic partners? I understand not being able to procreate because you need to keep the population in the silo like in check. Mm-hmm. But you weren't able to, there was no free love in this silo. Is that uh, what yeah, I'm I understanding? Yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, I guess, again, they're trying to kind of keep, I'm assuming this is a judicial thing. They're just trying to keep their civilians in check. So it is interesting. I wonder if it's because she's too pretty for George. George has outkicked his coverage by quite a bit. And so in the silo, they're like, listen, she's really good looking. And George, uh, your name's George. So George is a handsome fella. Uh, Okay. All right. I'm not going to argue this. I've lost this argument before and I won't (laughs) lose it again. It was about a different George, uh, one of our presidents that Tom and I argued about whether or not he was a hunk. Um, Washington could take Bush any day of the week. Hint. Bush one, not Bush two. Oh, man. (laughs) 
Uh, you hopped in there with so many other jokes. I love it. She uh, pushes the lower level deputy, uh, I think his name is Hank, to bring the sheriff down in order to investigate, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And Hank talks about, listen, you know, if you guys were actually in some sort of real relationship, and then he like winks at her, he's like, like we could be. Um, it would be easier if you could make these claims about murder. Essentially, Tom, in this environment, unless you're married to someone, you can't claim they were murdered because mm-hmm. only a spouse has the ability to be like, there seems to be a hole in this judicial system where you could murder <laughs> a lot of people and just be like, I don't know, I was married to him. So <laughs> I don't know. That doesn't make any sense, but I'm confused by all of the relationships <laughs> and what are legal in this little silo. Juliet and Holston get a good look at the body. He's checking wrists. He's trying to rule out suicide. Uh, apparently, there is an epidemic of suicide running through Juliet's family, right? Well, they make uh, Holston makes mention of, I think, later on where people have been kind of ingrained with the, the signs and things to look at for suicide that some people that actually ultimately do do that are good at hiding it because she makes mention that, like, her brother apparently had passed away of suicide when he was 12 or when she was 12 and then her mother shortly after when she was 13. So likely the mother couldn't deal with the loss of her child. Like terrible, super sad stuff. But I imagine being stuck in a silo with no daylight or outside world, it could drive people bananas. That's probably when they built the slide, right? Mm, They're like, oh, we'll, we'll fix this. Rather than people jumping, they'll be able to slide down. <laughs> But we, but we do get a bit where, you know, they're, they're kind of going back and forth. I think eventually they make it to the cafeteria and Holston is kind of saying, like, listen, I'm not going to rat you out. And we get this little bit about Holston being very smart and knowing that she's in a relationship. And she, we see and learn kind of later, it's because of her wearing the watch. Um, this was a watch that he had had. So when he holds up the wrist looking for, like, cuts and things like that and the watch is gone, we know that Juliet has it. And Holston is smart enough to put those two things together. So he's a it's a quick-witted guy. Sure. And at the same point, this leads to later on uh, her discovery that uh, he knew George, or at least he had like mm-hmm. met George and knew that Allison and George knew each other. I found somewhere in here we have a Pez dispenser uh, become an important plot point. And I appreciate everyone looking at a Pez dispenser and being like, what the hell is this? Like, how does this work? And I do think, like, if you picked up a Pez dispenser with no context, you would kind of be like, okay, like, what does this do? (laughs) So this leads them to the secret place in the down below, down below, down, down below, Mm -hmm. which I believe it's called. Yeah, and she shares this note at least part of the note with Holston about there being a spot that she needs to go because this Pez dispenser reminded her of the place that she used to kind of hang out with George in this, this down deep, if you will. So, but it's interesting that she does rip it in half and doesn't reveal everything to the sheriff. So doesn't wholly trust him quite yet. Right. Can we call this the down, down below love shack? Is that, can we call that area this? No, we're going to call it the down deepest, the down deepest. And that's where we find a massive drill that they think dug the silo. And then they're like, well, rather than get it back up, they just left it here. So once again, where's the mining happening? If uh, this 
drill his way down here at the bottom and no one's down further. Uh, where are we sending people to mine? I don't know. We have a relics collection that I guess George was gathering and then he sold them. So this guy was like black market um, mm -hmm. and he has one of those video. I just think it's funny. Like they look at these things and like, we don't know what this is. We don't know what this <laughs> is. Just you've got to kind of suspend some disbelief about like, what would they, would they not be able to look at a video camera and be like, oh, this looks like a lens of some sort, you mm -hmm. know, but apparently they don't have these things. And yeah, you got to imagine the video camera is going to come into play, right? That was featured so heavily and was the way he was kind of looking at it. So there's going to be something on there that I'm sure is going to be revelatory, but, but this does at least kind of answer that this does take place, I think on earth or in the United States, because one of the relics that she pops out was a statue of Liberty relic. So I think that gives us some inclination that, this is on that Earth. planet all those apes live on. <laughs> yeah. Oh, maybe that is this. Did they trick us? Is this part of the Planet of the Apes series movies? They just turned. I haven't it into seen Mark Wahlberg yet. I'm looking out for him. <sighs> well, he's going to show up with all them Transformers that <laughs> are robots in disguise. <laughs> we she finds the hard drive. Yeah, it'll be interesting to know what's in the vent because the vent could be the video camera that maybe he figured out a way to work. The mm -hmm. vent could be the hard drive. The vent could be all of them. But uh, the hard drive very cleverly hidden on a string. Mm-hmm. And it also had the notes in there too, which is what kind of tied this relationship together because uh, very quickly Juliet realizes that's not George's writing and Holston realizes, oh yeah, that's that's Allison's. So there's the connection. And I think even Juliet gets a little frustrated with this, like not knowing that there was sort of correlation or connection with George and, and Allison who are both past. And that's when she, that's from when she is trying to figure out the password in order to break into the hard drive. Mm -hmm. Now, my mm -hmm. question to you, Tom, is... Could you recognize your spouse's handwriting two years after she voluntarily goes out into a poisonous world and dies on camera in front of everyone you know? Uh, the floor is yours. I think I could. If it was on a, a paper, I could I could probably call it out. Okay. Okay. How about you? No? You don't? Oh, absolutely not. I have no idea <laughs> what my spouse's handwriting looks like. I don't even know if she prints or writes in cursive. Who knows? My wife's cursive. Okay. That's, well, that's uh, good for her. Sounds like you guys are real fancy folk over there. <laughs> she um, puts hearts on all her eyes. Nice. Not on her lowercase j's, though. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. All right. <laughs> all right. This is the big push. Juliet's like, listen, George did not commit suicide. You need to find the killer. And he's like, oh, this hard drive is a level seven, uh, like, relic. Red level. And, and, oh, sorry, red level. Thanks. I'm not learning these terminologies. I refuse. I'll talk about the show. I won't learn anything. Thank you very much. She has a great line here where she says, if you were to listen to your wife, she'd still be alive. And the Oof. audience goes, oh. <gasps> and everyone, like, throws papers and stuff. I don't know. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we get like Holston is very like he, he takes this very hard and kind of shoots back at her. And you can tell he's still very, very distraught about the loss of his wife and hasn't come to grips with how it all went down. Because, again, this is two years after all this happened. So it's it's tough for him. No, well, I probably... take that back. Sorry. This isn't two years after this, this is one year. Yeah, one year. 
It doesn't help that one of the last conversations he had with Allison was she's like, you don't always listen. And then this lady's <laughs> like, listen, if you would have listened. A lot of listening going on there, Sheriff Holston. So mm-hmm. he very quickly, and I understand shows have to do this, but there was a real quick turnaround here where he goes from, I'm going to destroy everything. We need to hide all this to, fine, I'll continue to search, but you need to keep a low profile. I'll give you a signal, a sign. And then she ultimately, I guess, doesn't get any sign from him. That's kind of why she's shouting uh, at the camera, right? Yeah, that's that's why I took it for sure. Then we have uh, the second half of the note, which reveals that George found what he was looking for, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is where I think she decides to pursue it. Like when she's talking to kind of that mechanic lady and, and while she was repairing the I'm toaster. I'm sorry, the toaster repair lady, Tom? That's We've established <laughs> that's her character name. <laughs> Excuse me. But yeah, so she is... The, the toaster lady is telling her like hey maybe you should kind of calm down like take take a breath and let's maybe regroup and she's like no i've got to dive deeper and then she realizes this when she kind of reads maybe again that second part of the note saying hey i found what i was looking for and then we get kind of the flashback bit right where we find out that what george was looking for was that tunnel that i think we saw in that earlier blueprint right right my assumption, my guess, is that that tunnel leads maybe to another silo, right? Is that, what else would be that deep? Oh, that's possible. That makes sense. I haven't really given it any thought yet, but it would make sense if that's like a, a network of, of silos that are connected through through a tunnel system. Makes sense. Right. And then they all have soccer teams that play each other. I think that's the <laughs> ultimate goal of this show. And then... At some point, one of the silos hires an American to come out and train (laughs) their silo soccer team, and he treats them with kindness and love, and everyone gets along, and it's wonderful. Listen, we know how much Americans hate soccer, so I'm pretty sure the silo team for this silo, they're called the Miners. So if you're bad, you get sent to the Miners, the soccer team. Nice. Got nice. <laughs> Sent down to the miners, Tom. I love it. That's just a good that is just a good well-crafted joke that took me so long to get. And so I appreciate it. We have the mayor in Marnes discussing Holston's replacement. Mhm. This is where they're talking about like judicials trying to kind of put in their man, right? He was a former sheriff, but he's a man of the judicial and they're kind of probably trying to take control cuz they seem to be the muscle, if you will, of the silo, right? Oh, so mostly. Mm. And Holston, once again, wrote a note that I think I talked about this earlier. Uh, Marnes did not share with the mayor until this moment. He looked, Marnes looked into camera at the director over the camera and was like, is now the right time to reveal this note? And the director, <laughs> Graham Yost, I don't think he was the director, is like, yes, now reveal. And so Will Patton's like, and here is a note. So the badge <laughs> and everything else is supposed to go to... Uh, Juliet Nichols. Dun, dun, dun. Then we have this scene where Juliet is climbing down. She, we know from past experience, she doesn't love water. And this all just seems terrible, to be honest. I would not be. (laughs) This is the start of a horror film. Uh, Just a flashlight and deep water and dark down things. I don't like it. Oh, yeah. It was super uh, creepy. But, like, I don't know. Maybe tie some knots into this rope before you go down. Maybe wear some gloves. I would argue she probably has some serious rope burn with that fall and then just immediate grab of the the rope. Um, But I was super confused. Like, when she got down to the very bottom, I, like, look at my wife. I'm like, why does she just get in the water and swim around? And my wife looks at me. He's like, 
they don't know how to swim. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh. <laughs> People never been in water. <laughs> she can't swim. That is a good point. And they, they don't say that exactly, but she does say... Like you can't breathe in water. Like she makes yeah. the point. So yeah, I don't. I don't get what her goal was, right? Like, what is she trying to do? She sees it is just black water all below her. What was she gonna do when she got to the bottom? Like, I didn't. I didn't really understand this. It was a cool, I guess, cliffhanger showing her. I don't know, dangling above. Yeah, yeah. But I'm assuming she's gonna climb back up and I don't know, do something else. I don't know. I don't know. But episode three is going to reveal it all. And that's where we're going next. Tom, do you know what the title of episode three is? Oof. Episode three, The Silo Returns. Episode three, The Silo Returns, uh, <laughs> i.e. the big swim dive is what it's called. <laughs> so this is the one where Juliet learns to swim. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I appreciate the combination of episode one and two just because episode one set it up. Episode two gives us a deeper dive into why George is dead, like what the mystery is here and what world we're building. And I think you've done a fabulous job of identifying, hey, when the sheriff went out, like what he saw and what's causing them to die, uh, I think is... uh, I think the details you picked up on are right on track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this, again, I, I love, I love shows like this. It's fun to kind of deep dive in the mystery. Like I've kind of sounded a couple of these things. It's there. There's these little moments where, yeah, you can pause the screen. You can probably rewatch some of this stuff to get little clues and hints about where they're going. And these are, these are fun shows to watch. So excited to do this, this show. And we'll probably keep doing these in maybe some bundles of episodes um, to try to get through it. Cause we know these are already, kind of out there and being digested so we hope you uh enjoyed and we'll we'll keep listening along sure if you have questions or comments or want to yell at us via caps lock you can reach <laughs> us at team at gmail.com for those of you that rate and review us on apple podcasts we appreciate it uh, those are always nice to read. Not that we do this for anything other than two friends who want to record their voices for history and the <laughs> silo once again to find on a hard drive somewhere. Or the cloud. Does the cloud exist in a silo? I guess it doesn't. Oh no, we're doomed, Tom. This will never be saved. There's no hard copy of it. Anyways, Tom will talk about our other social media stuff because he doesn't give me any access to those. Correct. He, he got access once and it had to be revoked. He's on Did not go well. No, 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 no. Justice Department's on our butts. Uh, follow <laughs> us on Twitter, Instagram at Team Binge or at Team Binge Podcasts. Um, because these shows are already kind of out and we're a little bit behind, we're not going to get too deep divey or theory crafting and stuff online so please don't spoil anything if you're going to reach out to us we're kind of watching these as we release them uh, but again super fun show uh, very excited to, to kind of ch- chat through this and we'll see if we can uh, solve it oh i think we've already solved it i think <laughs> holston murdered everyone dun 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 actually will Patton probably will Patton of outer range his character in outer range murdered anyone everyone (laughs) anyways this has gone too long i've been julian (laughs) and i've been tom see you next time everybody another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.